0: everybody. We're so glad to have you here with us. Welcome to your team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue.
1: And I'm Steph. And we're the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to Dr. Ryan Marino about fentanyl,
0: a dangerous synthetic opioid that's often rumored to be laced into marijuana and other recreational drugs. Dr. Marino is going to tell us everything about fentanyl we've been too scared to ask. Steph and I learned so much from Dr. Marino. I mean, such a really well-informed doctor, and he shared it in a way that was so easy to understand. It has not been relevant in our lives. That's not to say that we're immune. No one's immune. But one of the things that I think is so interesting that I read in the research before I did, we did the interview was if you give drugs to 30 kids in a room, I don't remember what the number was, but pick a number. And, and some of them are going to become addicted and it's a small percentage. And some of them are going to be using it recreationally and fine. And some of them are going to just not like it. I think it's so interesting. It is Russian roulette and you don't know how your body's going to respond to it, but I can tell you that I've never really liked being drunk. Like I haven't liked the way it made me feel physically forget out of control, but physically physically. So I I really never did anything. I don't know, Steph. Do you
1: like a good drink? Do you I mean I like I like a glass of wine, I like a cocktail or two, frankly, but I also don't like that feeling of being out of control. So that's I think a personality trait. Like I I don't like that. I it's not I am just really uncomfortable in that space. So so I don't do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So
0: it it probably is part of the story of. Like I remember talking to somebody about cutting and that for some people, when they cut themselves, which is a mental health issue, but they feel euphoric. And so if you get euphoria from cutting yourself, you're going to want to do it again. And if all you get is pain, then you're not going to do it again, right? So so to me, using recreational drugs always fell into that court category of like, I'm not going to like it.
1: Yeah, no, same. And I, I think the other thing as we were talking about this topic was, you know, it's very, at least for me, my experience with the kids, despite what we do for a living, there are topics that are really hard for me to bring up. I didn't grow up in a house where we were talking about all certain, like we didn't talk about things. And so that's not my default. And so I really have to push through it. And, you know, I was thinking about like these tough conversations. I know we've had many experts say to us, like, even if like, I know it's important. And so like, that's what governs, you know, the thinking. And I'm like, okay, okay, just like bring it up. And sometimes I will say things like, this is really uncomfortable for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's so important that I'm going to do it anyway. And even just asking the kids, like, I've been hearing a lot about this, like the, this is how it all started. I saw that article about fentanyl strips and sending your kids to college with strips. And I'm like, wait, are we doing that now? And so, that's the type of thing where it's like, okay, what do you know about this? Tell me what you've been hearing, you know, which feels very, to me, pretty innocuous. I usually get good answers when it's uh, kind of amorphous like that <laughs> versus, right? Where we're just well, talking about the question,
0: are you doing this? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's totally.
1: Not- totally. it is, And it really is coming from a place of curiosity, which we talk about a lot. Like, I, hey, I saw this article. Like, am I missing the boat here? Is this something, you know, what are you hearing about this on campus? One of the other things that
0: Dr. Marino talks about is the shame and the the judgment that goes along with recreational drug use. And I asked him a question in our pre-interview. And when I started listening to interviews he had done, I felt embarrassed myself for even my questions to him because they were so loaded with judgment. One of the things that I think is most wonderful about him and so like it's so good he's doing what he does is he really just sees the person. He does yeah. not see like, oh, here's a drug addict here or here's a an opioid user. He sees a person and then he looks to figure out how he can be helpful in their story. And one of the things he, he did tell us is like, so many people are judging what's happening in that space that they can't even come to you and tell you if you're the parent and you're like, we don't do these things in our house, right? Or you look at someone else's kid and you say, well, I saw that coming with that kid. Those are reasons why our kids won't come to us and say, I'm having trouble, I'm in trouble.
1: Yeah, and that's the other thing I jotted down. And you and I have been talking about this a lot lately. I wrote, um, home is a safe landing spot. You know, we want that always to be, regardless of what's going on, right? That they can always come home, metaphorically and physically, right? That this is a safe spot for them. All right, well, up next is our conversation with Dr. Ryan Marino. We can't wait for you to join us.
0: Dr. Ryan Marino is a physician at University Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. He specializes in toxicology, addiction, and emergency medicine. He also is an outspoken champion against misinformation about fentanyl. We've been hearing so much about teenagers dying from weed-laced fentanyl. So we want to know from you, what are you seeing in the ER? Because after a quick Google search, it seems that the story might be myth. So what do you think?
2: Fentanyl overdoses are a big problem. And people are overdosing from other drugs being contaminated with fentanyl now. And that has become quite a problem. The one thing, though, is that cannabis, for a number of reasons, hasn't been having this issue. And we are not seeing people overdosing on fentanyl from, from smoking cannabis, smoking marijuana in any form. And that hasn't been documented to have occurred, as far as I am aware.
0: How did it come to this, where we're walking around, not we didn't make it up, we read it in articles about this crisis. How does it come to that?
2: In terms of the fentanyl and cannabis specifically? Yeah. I don't know exactly where this came from, but this myth has been around for a number of years. It was popularized by political figures at some point. It has been um, released by public health officials as a warning. And I mean, I think what we've seen more recently is that people who have had overdoses have said, oh, it must have been in my cannabis. It's something that could be easily proven if it's happening. That's something that we have good good tests for. There just is no proof that this is actually happening.
1: So can you explain the real danger of fentanyl and how it compares to other drugs?
2: Yeah, so fentanyl is a problem. There's a reason that it's in the news. And it's a problem for people who are using drugs, which hopefully not cannabis that we've seen in any way so far. But Fentanyl is a potent opioid, and so within the past few decades, the United States primarily, but other, other groups around the world, have done a very good job of eliminating the heroin supply, which was kind of the like illicit street opioid, primarily used opioid. With heroin out of the picture, there was no address of the demand for opioids, and fentanyl kind of rose to fill the ranks. This is for a number of reasons. Fentanyl is synthetic, so you can make it in your own home. It's very easy to make. Like anyone could really make it with pretty minimal training. You can buy the the precursor products on the internet. Whereas with heroin, you need like large fields with good weather to grow, grow poppies. Um, You need people to, to cultivate them and then create the final product and distribute it. Fentanyl being much more potent is easy to transport. It's much smaller amounts and so has really replaced all opioids. The other thing too being that opioid prescriptions are way down. And so now we're seeing the pills that were sold on the street for like Oxycontin, whatever, are actually now just pressed fentanyl. And that's a big problem too, because people are not getting what what they thought they were getting, uh, which is what what has led to probably the most overdoses here. People who are buying heroin getting fentanyl the next day, uh, people who think they're taking an Oxycontin, and it's actually a bunch of fentanyl. That's how people overdose, because fentanyl is a medicine that we use. It can be used safely. I use it very frequently in the emergency department and in in the hospital. It's used probably 24-7, 365 in every health system around the world and is used very safely. It's just when people don't know what they're getting, they don't know what dose they're getting is when it becomes a problem. And because it's so potent, we're now seeing issues where just contamination of it in things like cocaine, in amphetamines is leading to people overdosing from fentanyl when they aren't even trying to use an opioid. That becomes a big problem. And again, though, this this isn't like a malicious thing. People aren't aren't trying to make people who are using meth or cocaine overdose. It's just that contamination because these are all black market products. There's no kind of regulation. It's not easy to, to keep things all separated and pure. That's kind of where we are. God, I
0: have so many questions, one of them being, If you're addicted and you can't get opioids as easily as you used to be able to because there's so many more control factors in place because of how many people were dying from opioid overdose, did black market fentanyl come in to kind of...
2: Exactly. Black market fentanyl is really everything now. I mean, people who think they're buying Xanax on the street, a benzodiazepine, it's now usually just pressed fentanyl.
0: Okay, so we're parents of teenagers. We at your teen are telling parents a list of things to worry about all the time. And then we go to this place of, like, worried about our kids using weed and maybe get getting fentanyl. But you're kind of saying that's not really happening so much or at all. What should we worry about? Like, how do we even know what to worry about in terms of black market drugs and fentanyl?
2: Well, I think knowing if your kids are using drugs is important and having kind of that open dialogue. Because if they don't want to tell you they're using drugs— They don't want to tell you that they tried something or or they know a friend who has a problem or, or something like that. Then that's when bad things start happening. And the reason people overdose, every opioid overdose is entirely A, preventable, but more importantly, in my mind, is reversible. So someone could do all the fentanyl. And as long as someone's around, you can reverse that overdose. There's an antidote. You can save their life. It's just Narcan. And so people overdose and die because they use alone and because they're kind of driven to use alone. And so I think the most important thing is having kind of open dialogues and trying to be available in a non-judgmental way. But when it comes even to this discussion about like cannabis and these fears about how drugs are very dangerous, you don't know what you're getting. Cannabis is a great example where legalization has kind of taken some of the concerns off of the table in terms of you no longer have to worry about these bizarre synthetic cannabinoids You don't have to buy from like a sketchy place. You don't have to worry about the crimes associated with kind of black market drugs. And so, I mean, I think legalization and regulation are good, good things to support in terms of making drugs less dangerous.
1: Tell us about fentanyl strips.
2: So fentanyl test strips are cool little things that you can get in a lot of places. I would just couch that in some places these are considered drug paraphernalia. So just be careful, depending on what state you're in. But uh, they're literally little like paper strips, like pH paper almost, that you can mix drugs into some water and dip them in, and it, it can tell you if there's fentanyl in it. They're not a perfect measure. They, I mean, if the fentanyl is not in the little amount that you mix into the water, it's not going to pick that up. But they're a very good kind of harm reduction method, one layer of protection, I would say, in terms of trying to reduce fentanyl overdoses. If, if something came back positive for fentanyl, You would know then to either not use that or use much slower, use a smaller amount, making sure someone else is around. And that's kind of the harm reduction philosophy is just trying to reduce the harms associated with these drugs. It's the same thing we do with lots of other things. I mean, alcohol is probably the easiest example, but most medicine that we practice for adults is trying to just reduce harms. After someone has a heart attack, I can't go back in time and and fix the the cells and the muscles of their heart, but uh, we can start them on medications that can reduce their risk for complications and reduce their risk of the next heart attack.
0: Fentanyl strips, they're in the news. I never even heard of them. I think it's very interesting. Narcan, also in the news, saves lives. What actually is it? Should we own it?
2: Yeah, I think everyone should own Narcan. It's, for whatever reason, still controversial. Narcan is the brand name for naloxone. And what people are probably thinking of is the intranasal formulation that the government actually specifically funded a design study so that this could be used by an uneducated or untrained, I mean, child, which sounds kind of bleak. But when you think about designing something that can save lives, you want it to be as easy as possible to use. And so it's not something that you need to be trained in. It's very easy to use. It's very effective. It works for fentanyl. It works for other opioids, even like carfentanyl. But there is this misconception that having Narcan available, carrying Narcan, making Narcan available to people who use drugs will enable them to use more drugs, to use bigger doses. And that's been widely disproven in a lot of scientific literature. And I mean, I think the biggest misconception that comes from that is that without Narcan, the alternative outside of a hospital setting is someone has a very high chance of dying. And so you're enabling that person to live. Whether they go on to use more drugs is kind of irrelevant when the alternative is death.
1: Should parents be encouraging their teens to own fentanyl strips? And what about Narcan?
2: I think so. And I mean, this is always a controversial topic. It's really hard to kind of think about the best ways to do this. But we know the teenagers are going to experiment with drugs. We know that teenagers are using fentanyl. The number of teenagers that I've seen having fentanyl overdoses or complications from that in recent years has definitely increased year on year. So being prepared in advance, I think, is probably the most useful thing. And certainly having Narcan available, knowing where it is, knowing how to use it, could save someone else's life. It's not like you're teaching your kid how to survive it their own overdose. But earlier this year, there was several overdoses in like a high school, I want to say, in Connecticut. And unfortunately, I mean, no one there was able to revive the kid. At least one person died, if I'm remembering this correctly. But uh, that's something that we never want to see happen. And so, I mean, I think every little thing helps even when it comes to uncomfortable topics like drugs.
0: All right. Perfect segue. I checked out your Twitter account. You attract um, some hate there. And it seems to me like you're actually trying to help people. Why is this conversation so controversial?
2: So the fentanyl conversation has become very controversial. I don't really know why. In my job, I literally treat fentanyl overdoses. I treat people long-term for fentanyl addiction, for complications from fentanyl. So my motivation here is to reduce the harms from these drugs. At the same time, fentanyl. There's a lot of misinformation out there where people think that anyone who uses fentanyl is a danger to them, the people around them, and it has kind of taken on this like boogeyman characteristics. When it is also a very valuable medicine, it's something that can be used safely. And these kind of the drug misinformation and drug stigma is not helping anybody. Fear mongering about fentanyl is not going to save any lives, and I think we've seen that. So I don't know why people get get so mad about it, but I understand it's a sensitive topic. People have lost loved ones to fentanyl. I've, I've lost one of my my closest friends and family members to fentanyl overdose. So I know that it's emotionally charged, but I think sticking to facts is going to be the best way to move things forward.
1: So Ryan, along those lines, how, how do you suggest we talk to our teenagers about drug use?
2: Well, so I am not a parent. So I... Don't think I'm qualified to give that kind of advice. But when I try to talk to people about drugs, I mean, whatever it takes to just have like an open conversation. I mean, I don't care one way or another. I'm trying there to help people. If someone wants to tell me they use drugs, I can learn something from them. I can care for them better as a patient. And I mean, I think the same thing in my personal life, knowing the people uh, who are using drugs, I'm, I'm able to be a better friend. I'm able to be better supportive for them. But it is, it is definitely a charged topic and it's, it's difficult to open up. I mean, I think providing just like a supportive environment, the best way is to have someone feel comfortable enough to talk to you about their drug use rather than trying to uh, pull it out of them.
0: I did watch you in, in some interviews and I read some of your stuff and I, I was really touched by the fact that you, you don't see a drug addicted person, you see a person You don't seem to judge anybody who's using, you're only there as a doctor to heal. But you also mentioned that not everybody's like you and we come at this with biases. I'm gonna say that even just the short amount of time I spoke with you yesterday, I was keenly aware of my own bias. What are those biases and how how do you convince us or how do we move along and change that to be better and more helpful in this story?
2: Yeah, we all have biases. I think the first step is just acknowledging that we have biases and trying to remember that because everything we do is colored by some form of bias or another. And I mean, in like American society and most of um, Western culture, drugs have their own certain place and have kind of been pushed into like a, a moralization space where some drugs are okay We don't even think of some things as drugs. I mean, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration classifies alcohol as a food, even though it's the drug that leads to the most morbidity and mortality in the United States every year. Remembering that there are those biases that just because we have arbitrarily designated something as illegal, it's not like heroin use or fentanyl use in itself leads to infections, all of these other problems we think of associated with it. It's kind of the fact that we have forced people to use unsafely, to reuse needles, to not have access to safe supplies. Those kind of things come into play. And there's this this Hollywood notion of like what what heroin is, what these drugs are. Most people who use even things like methamphetamines, heroin, do not develop addiction. They can use them safely without harms, I guess would be a better, better way to phrase that. And just remembering that these are people at the end of the day, we all want what's best for our friends, our family, our community. I mean, drug use is just a part of human civilization. It always will be. So the sooner we uh, get over our hangups about it, the sooner we can make it safer and take care of everybody.
0: My feeling is like, I, I want a little better sense of what the biases are that get in the way of progress because I know for me, I am judgmental about somebody who's using drugs, getting addicted to drugs. There is this kind of sense of, you know, don't go down that path, do better which then has some moral judgment when, when there's a problem. So what do you see as, you can use me as, as an example, but maybe there are more, more kind of biases that are getting in your way in particular.
2: The drugs themselves are neither good nor bad. These are just molecular substances. They have predictable effects on the human body. Even someone who goes out one day and for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe they're like peer pressured into it or something, injects heroin, they inject fentanyl. That person has more chances than not of going on to not be addicted and never have any problems with drug use than if the same, the same scenario if they didn't use it. The chances of kind of long-term addiction and stuff that we think of with like hard versus soft drugs doesn't really exist. The issues with safety around these drugs is largely due to kind of the legal spaces that we've constructed for them. We know in countries where like drug use is legal, people actually use less. And so instead of getting people plugged into things like recovery and whatever, if if they're using drugs to self-treat mental health issues, trauma, pain, other things like that, we are kind of pushing these people into unsafe spaces that we've created for them. And I mean, I think the biggest bias when we talk about like drug safety versus unsafety, and there's this conversation that I'm thankful is is becoming more and more common about like safe use sites and whether we should like allow people to use. And I think talking about kids, like having, if you want your kid to tell you whether they're using drugs or not, the alternative to safe use is unsafe use. There's not, it's not no use. So... That, I mean, I think is like the biggest bias for me. And obviously we don't want people to end up addicted to opioids. We don't want people to have overdoses and these other complications. But uh, our like moralization just creates these arbitrary spaces that tend to make certain things unsafe, even down to our laws. We criminalize one form of cocaine differently than we criminalize the cocaine that wealthy people have easier access to even though they're, they're essentially the same substance.
1: All right, so Ryan, are there other myths you can debunk about teenagers and
2: drugs? Oh, there's so many. Some of the biggest ones are really just like this idea of kind of drug sadism, that people are slipping drugs into other things. I mean, this comes up every year at Halloween, that the drugs are being put into Halloween candy. Those are really just not true. No one's giving away free drugs. People trying drugs doesn't lead to addiction. I think those are probably the biggest ones for teens.
1: All right, so how about, you know, we see these reports in the news. You know, how do we know what's true? Kind of where we started this conversation. And what are the reliable sources for information for
2: parents? So that's a really good question. The news, I would hope that I could trust my news. Unfortunately, I feel like we're seeing more and more that that's not always the case. And in a 24-hour news cycle, I understand the pressure to kind of like get a story out there, Maybe the fact-checking isn't so good. Maybe the follow-up doesn't receive any attention. So I think just having kind of that information in your head and having the, the critical thinking about news, because we are so ready to accept what a, someone in a position of authority or someone from like the, the news media, a journalist, a reporter is going to tell us. And so it's not that like one group of people is going to be more reliable, but certainly when it comes to topics like drugs... There are people, and I mean, I'm biased here. I'm a medical toxicologist and an addiction doctor. So I feel like people like that know more about drugs than say like a local law enforcement who has no background in drugs. And that is unfortunately where a lot of the myths regarding fentanyl come from. But at the same time, I mean, anyone, anyone can make mistakes. Anyone can be uninformed on a topic. Anyone can say something that's incorrect. I don't know everything about everything. One thing to remember too, is just that like, These things, there should be, it's easy to prove things. And so, I mean, when it comes to like a fentanyl overdose, it's very easy to test for fentanyl in a person, in a substance, that kind of thing. If you see a news story where a a woman touched a dollar bill and felt like her body was shutting down from fentanyl, but then halfway through, they say that there was no testing for fentanyl and the local doctors said that this is not possible, then that's when people should be kind of asking questions of, of what this reporting is even doing in the first place. Thank
1: you. All right, so we're going to wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest surprise you find when working with teens?
2: I think the biggest surprise is how much they know and how capable they are. I, unfortunately, am mostly involved in kind of like the worst case scenario, someone who has very severe drug problem or has experienced some awful complication from drug use. And I am constantly astounded by how resourceful how self-educated these kids, these teens, these adolescents can be, how much they know about these topics, even if they're not getting information from their parents, if they're not getting information from the news, they're figuring this stuff out. And so, I mean, I think that's why it's important to have those conversations, because if you can be someone that they wanna talk to, if you can be like a trusted source, then that can make a really big difference. Not to say that that kids are just little adults, but they know more than we give them credit for. Drug use is, is a great example of that, I think.
0: Dr. Ryan Marino, we're so lucky to have you here with us today and have you local and working with people who are struggling and fighting for the, for just a safer, better world. And I don't know, helping these people recover. So it really shed light on something that we don't know a whole lot about. I feel like we could talk for another hour with you and still not get all the information, but this is a really good place to start and especially clearing up some of the myths that are out there. So thank you so much.
2: Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. love to talk more anytime.
1: (laughs) Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone
0: who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Team with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate
1: the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteamag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team
0: with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer, Michael D'Aloia, plus producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. We'll see
1: you next time.